0: Welcome to this roundtable discussion from the Gastroenterology Learning Network. I'm Dr. Corey Siegel from the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center, where I'm the section chief of gastroenterology and a professor of medicine at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth. I'm pleased to bring you this discussion today on guidelines, data, and discussion about the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine for patients with IBD. And I'm even more pleased to introduce our panelists who all have expertise in inflammatory bowel disease and vaccinations for people with IBD. On our panel, we have Dr. David Rubin, who's a professor of medicine and chief of GI at the University of Chicago. And he's the chair of the National Scientific Advisory Committee for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Dr. Gil Melmed is a professor of medicine and co-director at the IBD Center at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. And Dr. Jamie Horrigan is a physician here with me at the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center, but also an expert in Crohn's disease because she has Crohn's disease and has lived through this pandemic with all the same concerns many patients with IBD have expressed about the safety of vaccination, particularly when on biologic medications, which will really be a big part of our discussion today. Thank you all for joining us this afternoon. We, to remind everyone, we made recommendations back with the International Organization for IABD back in December, before vaccinations were even widely distributed and maybe even before they were approved in the United States. For those who aren't aware, IOIBD has 60 international members from 27 different countries who are all specialists in inflammatory bowel disease and really thought through what can we do to help take on this international health crisis And we couldn't wait months or even a year until we had enough data. We had to help protect our patients and think through very carefully about the safety and effectiveness of these vaccinations in our patient population. So we convened a panel of specialists from IOIBD and other experts. We reviewed all the data that we had about SARS-CoV-2 vaccinations and other vaccinations in people with IBD and try to come up with our best recommendations with the available information that we had. We had 64 panelists who joined us, including a world-class vaccine expert. And really a brief summary of our recommendations before I go to our panel is that patients with IBD should be vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2. The best time to administer SARS-CoV-2 vaccination in patients with IBD is at the earliest opportunity to do so. Vaccines, including all the available vaccines approved here in the US, we believe were safe to administer to patients with IBD. And that SARS CoV 2 vaccination should not be deferred because a patient with IBD is receiving immune modifying therapies. And then finally, patients with IBD who are vaccinated should be counseled to think about vaccine efficacy could be decreased when receiving systemic corticosteroids. So, Gil, let me start with you. You know, we didn't know much back in uh, early November when we started thinking about this project. These data were published in the journal Gut in January, where we still didn't have that much more information. And now, a few months later, we're gathering information. But if if we were to go back in time and think about what we know now, do you think we would have changed anything?
1: I thanks, Corey, yeah, I um, I think it's a really uh, good question. You know, certainly at the time we didn't have the information that we have today, and I'm sure in three months, and six months, and nine months from now, we're going to have more information and. Uh, We certainly did our best with the information that we had at the time. Um, I think for those key principles that you outlined, IBD patients should get vaccinated. It doesn't matter if they're on medications and the timing of vaccines shouldn't interfere with with those medications and the possibility that being on the medications may decrease the efficacy. I think all of those still uh, ring very much true today. So far, with the data that's emerged from a couple of centers around the world, we've seen that the the actual antibody responses so far seem to be on par with or perhaps a little bit uh, diminished, but really not that much affected by the medications the patients were on, and we're going to continue to learn from that over time. Also, safety-wise, the signals that were coming through are that the the vaccines appear to be uh, just as safe in somebody with IBD on medication as they were in the clinical trials. And so the message, certainly for uh, getting vaccination, irrespective of whether you're on medications and the timing of those medications still rings true today. Great.
0: Thanks, Gil. Um, Jamie, let me ask you a question. As someone with Crohn's disease and also a physician who's you know, very thoughtful uh, in the patients that you see in, in your practice, and I know you're also very busy on social media, so what are other patients saying about getting vaccinated? What, what should providers such as ourselves and, and some of the listeners know that patients have about either fears or, or enthusiasm about, you know, vaccination for SARS-CoV-2?
2: Sure. So I did a quick poll on social media and um, a couple hundred people actually answered. Most people are really excited and grateful uh, to get the vaccine. And most people kind of jumped at the vaccine as soon as they could. There were some concerns, though. Um, I guess some of the positive comments I got were, have colitis, I received my second dose two months ago, have not noticed any change in GI functioning. I received mine as soon as I could. I didn't have any concerns, as I knew getting COVID would be so much worse. Um, And then we had some some women who were pregnant and fully vaccinated, uh, fully vaccinated and breastfeeding, and then some women doing IVF and vaccinated. So I think that was important to hear from those people as well. Um, Some felt very comfortable getting the vaccine after talking to their their GI and their colorectal surgeon. And then some of the concerns were that, you know, the vaccine might cause some inflammation and may provoke or worsen a flare. Uh, This person had been in remission for two and a half years and didn't want to mess that up. Others are concerned about that New York Times article that um, suggested that those on infliximab might have lower uh, antibody production from from the vaccine. So uh, a lot of patients on infliximab are understandably concerned about that people are concerned also about getting sick from the vaccine and you know doing well right now, but not wanting to have a vaccine reaction.
0: Sure, let me ask you one follow-up question. Then David, I, I wanna come to you about that New York Times article and the, and the reference to the study that they had talked about there. Uh, Jamie, do you think by and large, you know, these are really thoughtful questions that patients are asking to, that to be honest, we don't have all, all the answers you know yet, and we hope to get it. But by and large, are people getting vaccinated or are they hesitant and, and kind of waiting?
2: I think most are getting it and excited about it, but there, are, there is a small percentage that is concerned in not getting it or maybe only getting one shot.
0: Great, well, thank you, no really helpful comments. Uh, David, uh, all of our practices received lots of phone calls after a New York Times article and, and it got spread beyond that that had brought question to the effectiveness of, of vaccination. Uh, maybe you can fill us in on really what they were talking about and,
3: and the reference of the study that they were referring to. Thanks, Corey. And uh, I wanna just echo what Jamie said, because in our busy practice here, uh, our patients have for the most part been excited to get the vaccine. And we're grateful that most of them now appear to be vaccinated or are getting vaccinated. So uh, Corey brought up the New York Times article that appeared on 15th of April, in which the article was trying to outline that some folks who have immune deficiencies either uh, inherited or acquired through organ transplantation and subsequent immune suppression or other immune mediated diseases, which included inflammatory bowel disease, might not mount an appropriate immune response to the vaccines and specifically the available vaccines. And I wanna point out that most of the data we have, if not all of it, are on the messenger RNA two dose vaccines. And uh, there were some challenges uh, in communicating that because First of all, when we think of patients with inflammatory bowel disease, I want to remind everyone, IBD is a condition of an overactive immune system, not an underactive one. So the baseline condition in people who have Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis is that their immune system is doing too much. And that's why we use immune-based therapies to try and control it. In addition, the targeted approach to management at least the goal is to control the inflammation but not necessarily immune suppress people. So it's important to remind everyone of that because what we learned really quickly in the pandemic and we've um, fortunately been seeing throughout the, the, over the last year is that our patients with IBD are not at higher risk to get COVID in general. And if they do, they don't seem to have outcomes that are much different than the general population. And there are a couple exceptions but it's a very important message to start out with because when there's an article that comes out like the New York Times article, that implies that um, now that we have vaccines, you may not be immune after you get the vaccine. It um, feeds right into the fear people have about having these conditions or the uncertainty our colleagues have about giving vaccines to patients who are on these therapies. So there's a couple points I wanna make to clear this up. Number one is that patients with immune mediated diseases and very specifically inflammatory bowel disease are not the same as people who've had organ transplants that are immune suppressed, or who have inherited or other acquired immune deficiencies. And the article lumped everyone together. Number two, um, talking about measurable antibodies after someone had uh, a SARS-CoV-2 infection, and then saying that this, because antibodies weren't as detectable in people who have these conditions, they therefore are likely not to respond to a vaccine is absolutely untrue. The way the vaccines stimulate our immune system and the way they work uh, is not the same as uh, as a sustained or durable immune response after an innate infection. So that comment and that um, implication in the article was wrong. And number three, uh, the article mentioned uh, a very nice study that was done by our colleagues in the United Kingdom. It was called Clarity IBD, and they've done a great job, but they misquoted the, the study and misrepresented it. What that study showed is that people receiving infliximab, an anti-TNF therapy, who received one dose of the two-dose vaccine, the two-dose messenger RNA vaccine, did not have a full measurable antibody reaction. But when they got the second dose, or if they had had COVID, and when they got the first dose, either way, when they had two hits, they had a full response. But The article, the New York Times article, neglected to mention that part, that if you actually got the two doses, you're gonna be protected, or at least those antibody titers will be appropriate. And leaving it out there as if you are on infliximab and by extension other medicines who treat our immune system, you're not gonna have an appropriate immune response to the vaccine is very confusing. The main message was if you get the two doses as they are recommended, you're gonna have an appropriate immune response. And my final point to clear this up is that the antibodies that were used to measure the immune response were the nucleocapsid antibodies, which are more sensitive for people who've had an innate infection, and they're not the anti-spike antibodies, which are the ones that we want to measure in relation to the vaccinations. So there were a lot of problems with that. And the bottom line for our colleagues and for patients who hear this is that actually the data emerging that uh, that Gil just summarized uh, show us repeatedly that the two-dose vaccines are safe and that they appear to be equally effective in our patients. And we continue to recommend them to everybody.
0: Thanks, David. That's a great summary. Gil, the CLARITY study that David was talking about is one of many studies going on. Can you fill us in a little bit about other ways we're going to be able to learn more about this over the
1: next few months? Sure. There's several initiatives going on around the country and around the world. The Icarus study uh, out of Mount Sinai in New York recently published a small series of about 50 patients with IBD and their antibody responses showing that they were absolutely comparable to those without IBD, uh, regardless of whether they were on biologic therapies or not. So that's an early signal. I think that is very encouraging, and we will see more as time goes on. Uh, There's the Prevent COVID study out of the University of North Carolina, and then we here uh, at Cedars also have launched a study called the Corral IBD study, and that's a registry right now. We have over 1,500 uh, patients around the country that have signed up, and we're Eager to uh, enroll anybody who is interested. Uh, It's an online enrollment. And what we're learning is uh, the side effect and safety profile of these vaccines, as well as the efficacy with measurement of antibodies, which will be occurring over time. What Dr. Rubin just summarized was early data because that's where we're at. I think six months from now, a year from now, we're going to need to continue to update our knowledge. Um, What do these vaccine responses do over time? what do antibody levels actually mean? We don't even know what antibody levels actually mean. What is the proper threshold for an antibody to be protective against COVID? And maybe antibodies aren't even the whole story. Maybe we need to be looking at other components of the immune system like t cells, which we're doing in our corral study. We're actually uh, investigating that right now to see what the correlation is. And and maybe it's the T-cell function that's more important than the actual antibody level. So many questions, I think, that need to still be uh, uh, addressed that we will be addressing through these various studies going on
3: around the world and updating our knowledge as time goes on. And of course, ultimately outcomes like do people get COVID and Absolutely. do they end up with hospitalization or God forbid death?
1: Absolutely. Yes, that's ultimately what we need to, what we need to understand and, and what, does, what does a vaccine mean? What does an antibody response mean? What do all these things mean in the context of, of course, getting an infection? And that's going to yeah. take time.
0: So, so so thankful for all the groups that are, are collecting all these data. I mean, we're going to be a lot smarter in a few months as we were, you know, we're a lot smarter now than we were months and, and a year ago on this. Um, Jamie, you had brought up that patients have a lot of questions about the impact of the vaccine and, and on IBD symptoms. Can you express what sort of things you think patients are concerned about? And then Gil, I'm just going to come back to you and and ask if that's something that you might be able to get an answer from, from Corral or, or other studies.
2: Yeah, so I think patients are concerned that this vaccine is creating an inflammatory response in the body and that might trigger a flare. And as you've talked about before, kind of people with IBD, their immune systems are overactive. So there is that concern there. And I think that's the main concern that patients have is really going into a flare or worsening a flare.
0: So Gil, are, are we gonna be able to answer that question with some degree of confidence over the next few months?
1: Yeah, that's the goal, Jamie. I think you're bringing up a, 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 you know, point that we hear all the time from our patients, and and that's been a concern actually about vaccines before COVID as well. The concept is a vaccine, you know, somehow has to stimulate part of the immune system, and by doing so, do we overstimulate an already active immune system, as as, uh, as David explained to us? So, you know, I think that that remains a theoretical concern so far. Oh, and by the way, one other point to make is that it's very hard to distinguish GI symptoms after a vaccine from a true flare of IBD. And we know from the mRNA clinical trials that there were not an insignificant proportion of patients experience nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, uh, which are all potential symptoms of an IBD flare. So how do we truly uh, tease that apart and unravel that? So uh, that's one of the things that we're studying in our Corral uh, registry. And uh, what we've learned so far is that, yes, maybe there, there are slightly more GI symptoms in patients with IBD, but they go away quickly. And um, they're typically on par with what we see in the non-IBD population as well. What we're learning so far is reassuring. I think being able to study it formally uh, across all of these registries will, will truly give us a sense of that. But I, I can say that what we've seen so far is very reassuring. That even if you get some GI symptoms after a vaccine, it's not necessarily an IVD flare, um, and they tend to resolve uh, within a short period yeah, of time. Yeah,
3: I, I completely agree, and I, I'll add, uh, aside from the anecdotal experience of my large practice, that I haven't seen any relapses. Gil's point that when somebody has expected reactions to the vaccine that might include GI symptoms is short-lived, is different than someone who has a relapse, which by definition in IBD usually is longer lived and requires an intervention to treat it. Also mechanistically, the part of the immune system we try to stimulate with vaccines and specifically these vaccines, but also from the long history of data we have on vaccinating our patients with IBD, much of which Gill has contributed and been the leader in, we've never seen that trigger immune Relapse of the disease of the IBD, so we should be reassuring folks that that's not expected. It hasn't been seen yet, and it doesn't necessarily even make biological sense. So we want to get past that and make sure they get protected. Great,
0: David. We're we're just about to wrap up. Let me ask you one sort of parting uh, look into the future of what your thoughts might be. You know, in six months from now, twelve months from now. For our patients with IBD, what, what does this look like? Is it checking titers regularly? Is it booster vaccinations? I, I know we're going to learn a lot based on what you and, and Gil and Jamie have just told us, but what's, you know, what's your vision for how things probably look in,
3: in six months from now? Well, one of the goals of a massive vaccination program is to eliminate the infection from the population. And I don't think in six months or even 12, unfortunately, that's going to have happened. Uh, We may be better in the United States than other places around the world. Um, But if that were to happen, then the idea of booster vaccines or other programs become less important. But in the absence of achieving that goal, which is what we want, but probably won't be yet, then we need to know what is the durability of immunity. There are two schools of thought. One is that actually this might be like the measles vaccination, where it's going to last and where uh, you may not have as measurable titers, but if you were exposed to the antigen, in this case, spike protein, which is the coronavirus, um, your body will respond properly and protect you. And the other is that, well, we don't know quite enough about this yet, and we probably would be uh, err on the side of caution, and people are going to need a booster shot and the booster will look just like the second shot we already received, and then we'll study what happens from there. And I don't think I can tell you, I don't have the crystal ball here to tell you what what is gonna end up happening. I honestly believe that the first part of this story will come from the follow-up from the pivotal trials that got them their emergency use authorization in people without IBD. So we'll have to see and learn from that and then go from there. Gil, I'm sure you have some insights here.
4: Yeah, David. I, I mean, as you say, we don't know. It, it, it could end up that we have lasting protection from what from the initial dosing, or it may require a booster, or it may may require uh, uh, ongoing uh, boosters. You know, COVID nineteen or the virus, SARS CoV two virus, is here. It's not it's not going away. Probably in our lifetimes. Uh, and we will be dealing with it in one way or another. Uh, if not, if not, then simply just to to keep it suppressed from the population. Um, and how long these uh, these protections last uh, after vaccination, uh, we just don't know. But we will be
3: learning over time. Should we be checking viral titers or anti spike antibodies in our patients, Gil?
4: At this point, I think it's still in the realm of research because we don't know what it means. Um, We are checking them as part of our study. We're checking both spike protein and uh, antinucleocapsid protein and antibody responses so that we can distinguish natural infection from vaccine responses. And and, and there may be others to check as well. But uh, at this point, I think it's probably in the realm of research. I think, you know, I have patients calling and saying they're interested to know what are their titers after vaccination. And my my response to my patients is well, we don't know what it means even to get, even if you come back with undetectable antibodies, we don't know that you're not protected, and that there's no impetus or indication to get another vaccine now. So there's no practical yet implication for that. I, over time, I think we will eventually learn what those mean, and 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 those recommendations may change. Do you yeah, uh, practice any differently?
3: I'm curious. No, I agree with everything you just said.
0: Jamie, as a, a final comment, maybe to our colleague physicians out there talking to patients with IBD, maybe you can just give us a, a final thought. What should we be telling them? You know, how can, how can we help support our patients and, and make them confident about what we're doing here?
2: Yeah, I think continuing to encourage patients that, you know, with IBD you're not at increased risk of uh, more severe COVID, the vaccine is safe and that pretty much everybody with, with the IBD should get it. And that, you know, we're continuing to study, you know, vaccine responses in people with IBD and just the constant kind of encouragement would be helpful for people with IBD.
0: Great. Gil, there's one more topic we should discuss. The J&J vaccine had some uh, recent discussion in the news that it was put on pause by the FDA. Maybe you could tell us what's different about the J&J vaccine compared to Moderna and Pfizer, what the issue were there, and then I'll ask you a follow-up question about people with IBD.
4: Sure. Yeah. So the J&J vaccine or made by Janssen is a different mechanism than the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. The Pfizer and Moderna are mRNA vaccines, new technology. Uh, The J&J vaccine, also new technology, is what we call a viral vector vaccine, which means that the component of the virus, that spike protein uh, component, um, is actually delivered via a virus, um, an incompetent uh, replicating uh, a replication-incompetent adenovirus, and that's how it actually gets into the cells. Um, and so um, it's, a, it's a very different mechanism. And uh, the other thing that's really different about it is that it's a single dose. At least that's how it's been studied in the clinical trials, and that's how it's been authorized, is it's administration of one and done, as opposed to the mRNA vaccines, which are two doses that are three or four weeks apart. So as you say, yes, um, there have been or there were cases of a rare kind of blood clot uh, associated with low platelet count that um, had been reported. And in April, the, um, the CDC uh, put a pause on the administration of J&J vaccines as they got a sense of what is the scope of this problem? How many people were affected? What is the numerator? What is the denominator? And recently the report was released. And this, by the way, was a temporary pause. After 10 days, they actually resumed and, and, and operations with j vaccine have um, in terms of administration have, have resumed. Um, but it, but they, they did identify 28 people out of 8.7 million doses that had been administered, so that's, uh, you know, that's about three cases per million, um, which is an extremely rare, but very serious. Uh, side effect, and this is a, a rare kind of blood clot again associated with low platelets, uh, and so um, I think that, that that the the concern was that it is a little different than how we would usually treat blood clots, and so that's why uh, this was this received particular note. Uh, that being said, again, it's an extremely rare uh, a, a side effect far less than the risk of serious complications from COVID or death from COVID if somebody gets COVID. And so uh, the overall risk and benefit ratio uh, were very favorable to resume continuation of recommending this vaccine when it's available.
0: Right, well, that's very reassuring. Thanks for going through that with us. Now, in context with the rest of our conversation uh, from the UK data that had showed us that two vaccinations were more effective than one, in patients on immune modifying drugs, uh, how does that impact this since since you mentioned J&J is just a single vaccination?
4: Yeah, well, you know, there, there's a lot that we still don't know. Uh, you know, the mRNA vaccines were studied and, you know, developed, really their development program was as a two-dose vaccine series. And that study that came out from the UK looked at the mRNA vaccines There also was the AstraZeneca vaccine that was looked at in that study, which is a viral vector vaccine similar to the J&J vaccine. But we still don't know what the overall uh, effects would be with a two dose versus one dose, because it's only been studied as one dose. And so at this point, um, you know, I'm just not sure there's much we can extrapolate from that from the two dose vaccine to a one dose vaccine. I personally am recommending uh, that my patients get whatever vaccine they have available to them, not to make any special requests for the mRNA vaccines as opposed to a vector vaccine. And if J&J is offered to them, that I recommend that they take it. Great.
0: I mean, that ties back to the beginning of our conversation and the IOIBD recommendations that uh, David, you and I, and others have worked on, which are get vaccinated as soon as you can with whatever vaccine is available to you. So I, th- I think that all fits in nicely. Um, l- last thing, Gil, uh, recently we have approval for teenagers now to get vaccinated any comments that are different from what we talked about previously with adults?
4: Yes, Uh, so very exciting news that the uh, FDA and CDC have now authorized the Pfizer mRNA vaccine for people ages 12 and up. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I think this is wonderful news and I would encourage anybody ages 12 and up to get that vaccine, including our patients with IBD who may or may not be on immunosuppressive or biologic therapies. Great
0: again, good good news uh, to hear for that too. Thanks. Jamie, thank you. Gil, David, uh, thank you uh, for joining us for this roundtable discussion from the Gastroenterology Learning Network, and we hope you've learned something, and we look forward to coming back and giving you an update on all of the data that we
1: just learned will be accumulating over the next few months. Thank you all.